right? And this premise, I truly have been praying, becomes earth-shattering, faith-altering to you. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready, preacher. Okay, half of you. Wake the other half up. Maybe their button was installed in the wrong place. Here's the deal. Paul is here describing something that we so very commonly get wrong. Paul is describing what gifts in this prayer, he's describing what gifts he wants for believers, not the performance he expects from believers. Prepositions matter. And too often, too often, we think that God is just sitting around trying to coax some action out of us, to coax some attitude out of us. And that's often born out of several places. It's it's sometimes born out of the attack of an enemy. He's looking at you going, well, just look at you. You stink. You stink. You know, God wants you to do better, be better, say better. Or, Or sometimes, sometimes we feel our weakness so intensely and so personally. We always just think, man, man, I just need to get better. Or sometimes it's, it's, it's guilt misplaced. Like we think we have to do something for the Lord. We get our get to mixed up with our got to. Somebody say amen. amen. I'll never forget my great grandmother. I hated snapping beans. And that's all we ate, man. We put up 97 million gallons of snaps every summer. We never, we got snaps at my mama's house from 1923. And my grandmother didn't have any formal education. My great-grandmother, we called her Granny Sue. And uh, I was out there one day in the garden, you know, mumbling and groaning like kids do. Because we was, I didn't even want to be picking them. And we had to take them to the house and snap them. And I'm, I'm complaining in the picking phase. And I hadn't even got to the part I really hated. And she just looks at me and she had this funny way of saying, honey. She'd say, honey, honey. She says, honey, you got your got to and get to all mixed up. She said, you think you got to snap beans and you missing that you get to eat. Church, some of y'all got you got to and you get to mixed up. You think you got to do something for the Lord. I'm telling you, you get to do something with the Lord. You got your working and your worship mixed up. And before I proceed to unfold this prayer, which I pray, I've been praying, Paul's prayer would inform us, instruct us, it would switch us up, it would change us. I want you to know prepositions matter. God is holy, God is just, God is seated on his throne in heaven. God is not even of this world. He is transcendent. There is nothing we will ever do that if we leave it undone, that God will have an absence in himself. That's tough news. It's tough news when you think, man, well, God doesn't need me. Well, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just quitting all committees. I'm not going to do anything anymore. God, that's right. God doesn't need you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. But here's the most blessed thing of all. God wants you. And there's a grand shift in that. There's a grand shift in that. We all want to be wanted, but it's amazing when you meet somebody who doesn't need a thing from you and wants you anyway. Wants your fellowship, wants your friendship. 
So this morning, as we unfold this prayer, I pray you get your prepositions in line and see this is what God wants for you. Church, look at your neighbor and say, it's what God wants for you. Tell them it's what he wants for you. Not from you. Because if you'll get that, you'll put yourself in a position to receive, right, rather than to grit your teeth and try to just simply do better. First things first this morning I want us to see is what Jesus is Lord and I as his under shepherd want for you when I pray. What do I want for you when I pray? I want overflowing love. Man, what would it be like, church, to live a life full of overflowing love, where love just poured out of us all the time in increasing measure to increasing depths with increasing effectiveness? What would it look like to live a life of love? I had a somewhat damaged childhood at some times, and it caused me not to trust a lot of people. So I went around with my fist up. I sometimes wouldn't even let love in, and I was definitely afraid to give love away. I was afraid if I gave love away, maybe I wouldn't have enough love for myself. Oh, what a misunderstanding of love. And I want to tell you, when the apostle prays here, he says, my prayer is that love may abound more and more and more. There was a movie out some years that, um, oh, it starred the... uh, the other Belushi brother, I, I can't remember his name, but the, the name of the movie was Curly Sue. Any of you 80s kids remember the movie at Curly Sue? And they were homeless. This guy wasn't even her dad, but he was raising this little girl in the streets. And, and somebody asked the little girl, how do you know he loves you? You know what the little girl said? said, he always lets me eat first. And I thought, man, I, I mean, that, it just touched me. I said, like, what a practical illustration. How do you know he loves you? He always lets me eat first. I think for us to understand overflowing love, we've got to break it down really quickly. The first part of overflowing love I want us to see is that this is a sort of love that is abounding in selfless giving. Abounding in selfless giving. Now this is very, very, very counter-cultural, especially in our culture. Our culture says, you go for yourself. You go for your own. You watch out for number one. You go out here and you fight and snatch and grab and make sure you are comfortable and protected. That's what our culture teaches you. Teaches you all the time. Go out, watch out for yourself. Did you know that the kingdom that God calls us into the gospel that saves us and the Savior that leads us actually calls us into the exact opposite. So don't you see, church, that when we're called to emulate Jesus, follow Jesus, serve God through Jesus, he is calling us to live exactly different as our culture is calling us to live. Also, our flesh calls us to be that way. Take care of you. Watch out for you. So let me unfold really quickly. This is one of these things that if I lay the groundwork, everything else later on will stand strong on this foundation. I think to do this, we have to look at the example of Jesus. Amen? There's no greater example of love abounding and selfless giving than the example of Jesus. We did just celebrate the resurrection. Somebody say amen. amen. That is the picture. Here's the gold standard of love abounding and selfless giving. Now, how do I know that? 
Watch this. He loved the father so much that he said, not my will, but thine be done. He loved the object of the cross, which is the bride, the church. He loved the church so much that he endured the shame, even though he despised the cross. That's love abounding to to God and to the people of God. You see that? Look at these scriptures really quickly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I often think about how wrong local churches get benevolence programs. We'll say, well, if they'll just straighten up, we'll help them out. This verse right here unwinds that. God didn't wait for us to straighten out before he helped us out. Amen? He just didn't. He, he came and met the broken. He came and met the desperate. He came and met the sinner. And when he met them, he had already done for them what they could never do for themselves. Or how about Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love... So, you see that command? That's a New Testament command. That's a New Testament law. Walk in love. Say amen, church. Amen. All right, it's not what God wants from you. It's what, church? For you. See, God wants you to walk in love. He knows it's good for you. He knows you'll enjoy it. He knows it'll change your life. Walk in love. Here's the example. As Christ loves. So, what's that look like? What does it look like to walk in love? Wow. You put your hands on lepers. You talk to shameful women at, you know, like the woman at the well. You, you let uh, prostitutes and tax collectors be in your circle so that you can show them love. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Now, how do we know Christ loved us? Gave himself up for us. You see that? You see that? That is abounding in selfless giving. Or how about this passage? We know this one so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God's expression of love, his highest, purest, most noble expression of love is giving his son. Or 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Aha! Says, what, so what's love look like, right? Tina Turner was wrong, won't you, church? Tina Turner said, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What she said was, who knows? All y'all know it, you just being rotten. What's love but a secondhand emotion? She says love is just something you feel after the effect. She's dead wrong. Love is what you do, and then feelings come behind it. Hate is what you do, and then feelings come behind it. By this, we know love. What does love even look like? It's an action. God laid down his life for us. So if we want to emulate, if we want to abound in selfless giving, if we want to abound in love, it will look like sacrificial giving to the people of God. We're already out, aren't we? Checking out already. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're talking, you're telling me that to love God, I'm supposed to love others? Yup. No uncertain terms. Or how about this verse, next verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Do you see how practical the apostle John went? He says, okay, Jesus is the example. Selfless giving looked like Jesus going to the cross. And now I want you, like Jesus, to look at what you have that would benefit others. And I want you to abound in love. So what does that look like? Abound in selfless giving. 
Now, <laughs> maybe we should stop and take up another offering. Or maybe, maybe when things start coming at you, you realize you're hearing about them so you can first abound in selfless giving by prayer. And then you might begin to see that God brings so much information to you, not so you can be the reporter, but so you can be the repairer. When Paul prays for this church in Philippians, you know what he said? I want y'all to love God and love each other. What does that sound like? Doesn't it sound like the greatest commandment? What's the greatest command? You shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and body. And then, he, you know, he didn't have to explain it. He says, and the second is what? Like unto it. What is it like? Love your neighbor as We know this sermon. We know it, don't we, church? So Paul says, Philippians, or I might say, Theracites, Theresians, Theresonians, y'all, I'm praying, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. How radically different would we be if our love abounded more and more? Love to God. Love to each other. Somebody says, I can't. I cannot give any more than I'll tell you. You have taken a trip away from the fountainhead for when you live at God's love and it flows into you, it overflows from you. And my urging to you to this morning, is you say, I have no love to give. I'm telling you to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. God wants you to fill up your glass as he feels you to overflowing, and he wants it to drip out on others. But let me say a cautionary word that Paul gives here in this prayer. He says, I want your love. I'm praying that your love would abound more and more. But what does he say? He says, with knowledge and discernment. So overflowing love is not just doing every nice thing you can think of. And it's not just doing things that make you feel good. Overflowing love comes as love guided by discerning wisdom. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean exactly what the scripture means. You can't do anything that feel, makes you feel good and call it love. And we live in a culture that that's going on left and right. They say love is love. Mm-mm. God is love. What did you just say, Pastor? That sounded significant. It was. Look at your neighbor and tell them God is love. So when something is not of the character, nature, and holiness of God, you cannot say it's love because he is the ontic referent. He's the objective standard. He is love. So if it ain't of him, guess what it ain't? You're mad now, ain't you? Pat your neighbor on the back and tell him it'll be okay. You, you, you see, love guided by discerning wisdom. And if anybody thinks I'm throwing shade, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying the reason we're so confused about love because we're confused about the source and standard of love. And when Paul prays, when Paul prays, when Paul prays, he says, I want y'all to abound in love, but I want it to actually be love. So I want you to abound in love with all knowledge and discernment. You, anybody remember the pop song? Somebody going to lie in here now because you know it. What do you say? I want to know what love is. Come on, church. And I want you to show me 
Y'all is lying. <laughs> no, nah, preacher, we just listened to BBN and K-Love. Right? You can't just say love is love is love. If it's not love, it's not love. You can't serve me a cow patty and tell me it's a hamburger patty. I have knowledge and discernment. It doesn't look like love, and I'm never getting to that tasting phase. I will look at it and say, no, that's not it. You see what I'm saying, church? What would it look like in your life if you are abounding in love? What would it look like in your family if you are abounding in love? What would it look like in this local church, in the community, if you were abounding in love? That's what I'm praying for. For you, it's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. It is life-altering. But that love must be guided by discerning wisdom. You can't just say it's love. It's actually got to be that eternal sourced love that matches the nature of God. Church, say amen. amen. Now, why would Jesus want this for you? Why would I pray for this for you? Why would I pray for overflowing, wise love Why would I ask for that for you when I pray? Here's why. Here's why. Because I want you to experience actual, helpful, healthy outcomes. Let me talk to you to quiet a minute. Y'all don't seem awake. How y'all doing? I do not want this to simply to be a concept that you have stuck in your memory or something you can regurgitate on social media. I want it to be real and to have actions and those actions to lead you to spiritual, relational, emotional, and even physical health. In other words, Paul was not praying that their theology would get turned around. He was praying that their lives would get filled up and poured out. And it wasn't what he wanted from them. It's what he wanted for them. So what does it look like? What does it look like? What are some of these actual, helpful, healthy outcomes if you're experiencing abounding love? Love abounding to God. Love abounding to others. What does it look like? The prayer tells you. First off, we will will be approving of excellence in every arena of life. I have to say a word here. It's, it's sometimes easy to measure some things like health, right? Uh, you, you know, how's your heartbeat? What's your, what's your blood pressure? Are you at a, at, a, at, a, at a pretty good weight for your height range, right? How's your sugar levels, cholesterol, sodium, all that stuff? You, you can actually measure that, right? And they have created standards, right? And sometimes you can be an anomaly. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to surprise you. Even, even when I had the least amount of fat content that my body had ever had, and, and I was really thankful. I had this really neat workout called pneumonia, and, uh, and it like had killed me. But, boy, I lost a lot of weight. It was pretty awesome. And uh, they actually, I'd gotten, a, I was at the doctor, I was getting a physical, and they was like, man, we got to put you on this particular diet. We got to build your protein. We got to get your weight up. They put me on the scales, and I just saw the lady. She just frowned. She was looking at this paper. She was looking back at the scales. 
She was doing the thing that measured my fat content. You know, they had measured my thighs. I giggled every time. I'm ticklish there. She had done the thing around my arms. I'm ticklish there. She had done the things around my belly. I'm tough there. She kept looking at that chart. She says, well, actually, your fat content is lower than is healthy, but your weight is above the scale. So I realize you can look at objectives and there are anomalies. There are anomalies. And it's easy to see that physically. But what about when it comes to our morality? If you really want to abound in love and it's love guided by discerning wisdom. In other words, it's love that's like God. And what do you, you, you want to approve what's excellent? Then it's going to have to come back to who God is. It's, it can't come back to how you feel. Somebody give me an amen. It can't come back to how you feel. Because some days I feel like driving normal on the boulevard. And some days I feel like hitting everybody. Can I go by how I feel? This morning was one of those mornings I was chilling. Friday, I wanted to play bumper cars. Can I be how you feel? And it can't be how we are. The sum total of us is broken. Did y'all know that? So you can't get the objective for godly standards from a broken thing who has messed up feelings. So if you think about objective morality, in other words, approving what is excellent, you can't say it's good because your university called it good. You can't say it's good because your government called it good. You can't say it's good because all your friends say it's good. Like all my friends when I was growing up told me chitlins was good. They lied. (laughs) I could not find enough mustard in the universe for them. See, that's subjective, not objective. Subjected to their taste buds versus being subjected to my taste buds. You can't go on how you feel. Paul's counsel later on in this same book is going to be this. Brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. God wants us, when it comes to having actual, helpful, healthy outcomes, he wants us to understand there is an objective for what is good and what is right, and it is based in him. And if your theology is based in what you're like, you have established a false God, and you're not walking with the living God. So Paul's prayer is fantastic. I pray that y'all love, that your love just abounds more and more with knowledge and discernment and that you approve what is excellent. By loving God and learning what it really looks like to love others, that you begin to see what is excellent by God's standards. Secondly, this sort of, this sort of abounding love leads us to having a life that is constantly choosing between what is essential and what is not. I'll throw up here a couple of examples. I could walk from Genesis through Revelation on this. Matthew 12, 12. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, I established a principle. God is watching every sparrow that falls. Church, say amen. But what did he just say? How much more value So as love abounds and as you love according to knowledge and discernment and as you approve of what is excellent, you start to get your priorities lined up in life. And I'm not saying your critters aren't important. Somebody right now is saying, he don't like my dog. I don't even know your dog. I'm telling you people are more important than all your dogs. But look at how much we'll do for our dogs and how much we won't do for people. Rut row raggy. Look at how hard we'll work to get a stray dog up on the porch. Get them spayed, get them neutered, get them civilized. But for lost people, we want to set up community watch and send them down the road. 
when you begin to love like God. Remember Pastor Troy back here during revival services is, you know, when we really get to going with the Lord, we'll start inviting people in because what we love is making us love the unlovable just like Jesus loved the unlovable. And we'll start choosing between what's essential and what's not. Some point y'all gonna change the carpet in here and you'll think that's something to argue about. It's not. Who cares? I'm mostly interested in it not being infected with lice or something. Somebody say amen. You'll go into some meeting this week and you'll think one thing is more important than the other thing. And when you're loving God and loving folks with knowledge and discernment, okay? When you're doing that, and when you're, when you're doing that, you start to approve what is excellence, and you start to understand some things aren't as essential as other things. Is it more important that children come to love Jesus in this place, or that they always sit down and hush up? I tell folks all the time at the warehouse, I want to see footprints on the ceilings if that's what it takes for us to get the kids to Jesus. Am I making sense, church? Y'all mad, ain't you? How about the person that owns a classic car? The grandkid jumps out of the car and slams the door. They need, they need to teach their child not to slam the door because that's just essential to stewardship. But in the moment, we'll often alienate the child over the car. Don't you slam my door. What do you love more, the kid or the door? Walk around there and teach them how to shut the door. Teaching the kid to cook. You can run them out of the kitchen fussing at them. You don't need flour everywhere. You don't need eggs on the walls. What you need is to spend time with that kid. As you live love, you begin to see what's more important. What's more important? Jesus also said, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? If God loves the birds, and God loves the birds. Tim loves the birds. You ought to see how many bird feeders I got. I'm going to be a great old person. I'm working hard at it. I complain and I feed birds. Yes. I complain about how much I pay for the bird feed. This is perfect. God loves the birds. Tell your neighbor, God loves the birds. But Jesus didn't go to the cross to redeem the birds. He went to the cross to redeem people. What is more essential? And I'm praying we learn what is more essential. We got to go faster. Why does Jesus want love to, to abound in your life? Overflowing love, wise love, discerning love. And what am I praying for? Actual, helpful, healthy outcomes. And one of those is becoming righteous. When your life is planted in Jesus, you will bear fruit that will please him. It will please him. And it's not even that he needs it from you. It just makes him happy. One of my friends is going through something pretty tough, and he's at the place where he's not ready to tell everybody. And uh, his whole family is going through something tough, and they're preparing to tell people. And I was thinking and praying for him the other night, and, and I was like, man, you know, he's getting ready to tell people. People are going to flood his house. You know, I just know, uh, you know, I just know this has been a stressful time. You know, I probably ought to organize some people to go over and clean his house. That would probably be an abounding love. Okay, I don't even want to clean my house. Let's get the record straight. I know it was from the God because it was, it was calling me to something I didn't even want to do. So I, I started texting some people, and I said, hey, would you be willing to get together Sunday afternoon and do this right here? And they was like, yeah, 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 I can do this, and I can bring that. And, I, and so I just saw love was abounding, right, because this few circle of people already know what's going on. The, soon all his friends and family are going to know, and his, his house is going to be bombarded. 
we were talking, I'll go shopping. We'll make sure they got paper towels and plates and this, that, and the other, and stuff is going on. And, and so then I texted my friend, and I says, hey, can I bring a group over to clean your house tomorrow afternoon? He says, no, my mom and dad and brother have already done it. And he says, you don't know how much it means that you thought of it. And I says, man, God thought of it. Most of this goodness God is calling us to is God has thought of it. Why? Because he's planting you in Jesus. And if Jesus gave his life on the cross, don't you think that what flows out of Jesus is sacrificial love lived up toward God and out toward folks? It's not that God needs it from you. He can do it all without you. It's that God wants it for you. There's a couple. I won't do both of them. I just see the time. But think about that, that, that passage from Psalm 1-3. Help me out here, friend. Psalm 1-3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. That's what it's like when God plants us in Jesus. And Paul here is praying at Teresa Baptist Church. My goodness, I have been praying for us that love would abound with knowledge and with discernment, that we would approve what is excellent. And in the process of love abounding and leading to the choice of excellence, that we would learn what is essential and that we would, we would be so planted in Jesus that his life would go out through ours and people would experience the fruit of Christ in us. So let me, let me go to a close. Oh, my gracious. How, how do I know? Here's a question. How do I know God's going to do this? How do I know? How do I know? I got confidence, choir. You hear me? I got confidence. You know, how do I know? Well, you just turn back to the scriptures. You look right there at Philippians chapter number one. You look at verse nine and you see what he's praying. He's praying for love to abound more and more and for it to be love that's like God who is love, and that we would learn in this abounding love to approve what is excellent, actual healthy outcomes, and that we would learn to, 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 uh, to, to embrace righteousness and to bring God glory. I skipped over that. That's one of those things that happen. We bring God glory. How do I know? And I know. How can I have so much confidence? It's right there in the scripture. Feel with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see those words? Through Jesus Christ. How do I know? Because God is pouring out on his love. Last week, I told you guys, he struck the shepherd because he loved us. But he approves of the shepherd and he loves him. So the father pours out love on the son. And you know what he does? He hides us in him. He gives us shared inheritance with Jesus. So everything that the father is pouring out on his son, it will be shared by God's people through Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Had a little youth event yesterday afternoon and we were going to, we had several vehicles there at the end and we were going to go do something and come back together. And we decided let's everybody get a treat. Let's say, and I only had, I only had uh, one guy with me. And so I, I said, I, well, I said, I wanted ice cream. I was the only one who wanted ice cream. And he said, I want ice cream. Let's go get ice cream. And so here I go strolling in the food line. And it dawns on him. I, I don't have money with me. He said, and he, I have money. I don't have it with me. I said, you have Tim with you. He said, huh? I pulled out my wallet. Tim's got money. 
And so as we bought the ice cream, you know, you walk back in the food line, get it, come back to the register, walk back out of the car, get in the car, drive over to the place we're all meeting. I started explaining this passage to him. I said, here's just a silly little illustration. How are you getting ice cream when you had no way to get it? You could have attempted to steal it, but it would have been unrighteous. You'd have had it, but it would have been unrighteous and temporary. How do you get to enjoy it without shame? You got to enjoy it without shame through Tim because Tim had money. And Tim had his MVP card. And Tim knows where the ice cream aisle is. Tim is connected to state employees credit union. Tim is connected to food line. I got the source. I got the supply. Brother, let's get it. And we went and got to Ben and Jerry's. Because you can't give this kind of illustration and get that off-brand stuff. <laughs> Am I right? He said, do they have cookie dough? I've never had ice cream. It's fancy. That's what he told me. He's a ninth grader. I've never had ice cream. It's fancy. I said, ha, 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 ha. They've got five kinds of cookie dough. He was like this in front of the ice cream thing. He held the door open so long you started seeing the icicles get on the other doors. I said, brother, you know, I said, I just heard them crank up number three out there at Heiko. You got to cut this thing, shut this door. Silly illustration. Silly. Granted, silly. A $4 ice cream, whatever it was. Silly. Church, Amen. But can you see that the, that, the, that the way God wants to deliver, all that God wants to deliver is through Jesus Christ. And if you are hooked up with Jesus Christ, then everything coming to Jesus Christ, everything at the, at the supply center of heaven is coming through the source avenue of Jesus. And if you don't got him, you cut off from him. And if you got him, then it's a coming. Let me teach you all a word in closing. One of my favorite words. I have trouble saying it, but I like it. Indefatigable. It's one of those ones, if you don't slow down, you accidentally say a cuss word. Indefatigable. What does it mean? It means it never gets tired. God never gets tired of blessing you through Jesus Christ. God never gets tired of sanctifying you through Jesus Christ. God never gets tired of loving you through Jesus Christ. God never gets tired of healing you through Jesus Christ. God never gets tired of using you for your good and his glory through Jesus Christ. God never gets tired of repairing your life, restoring your losses. God never gets tired of touching his church through his son. His effort, his love is indefatigable. He persists entirely in pursuit of the goodness of his people. Do you see a church? And here's how I know I can back up his vocabulary lesson. You ready? The Bible tells us, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If the way God repaired and restored his relationship with mankind is to put Jesus on the cross, now that Jesus has defeated death, anybody who comes to God through Jesus Christ, if he's already given you the death of his son, what in the world do you think he's going to hold back from you? Who don't see that this morning? And if this don't crank your gears, then your motor's disconnected. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. He says, if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Raise your hand in the room for your mama. Raise your hand in the room for your mama. Okay. Thank y'all. Love you. 
Mother's Day's coming up. Buck up, y'all. Get right. Get right. You, you ever had that line of thought with your kids, moms, where you thought, I didn't get rid of you. I bore you. I endured in the birth of you. I nurtured you. Uh, do you think that my goal now is to withhold anything good from you? You ever been there, moms? See, that's, that's the mother heart of God shining through right here. <laughs> I've been through pain birth with you, church. I know that I was in the operating room. It, you know, it, it killed me. What in the world do you think I'm going to hold back from you now? Church, Teresa Baptist Church, what do you think God's going to hold back from you now? So this morning, here's the invitation. Where are you with Jesus? If you've never submitted to God through Jesus, then you remain unsubmitted to God through Jesus. If you think it depends on your goodness or that you do more good than bad or that you are on a membership role or you've been baptized, it's not that. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. And this morning, the good news is anybody who comes to him, he will in no way cast out. Let the church say amen. amen. He's not waiting for you to get good. He was good for you so that he could absorb your badness into his goodness, plant you in him, and give you a goodness that is based in the truth of heaven. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus today. Somebody said, what does it mean to be lost? It means you don't know, it ain't that God don't know where you are, you don't know where he is. <laughs> Sometimes we lost, we don't know who we are, and we, we don't know who God is. We've got to get found. What's it mean to be saved? It means you are headlong, head over heels, drowning in a destiny of hell, and God plucks you out of the snare of Satan and the destiny of eternal separation and plants you firmly at his dinner table. Are you lost? Are you unsaved? Come to Jesus. And here's what God wants to do. He wants to give you a life abounding in love. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Now, he knows he's going to get some things from you. He's going to get glory from you. But it's first about what he wants for you. Believer, are you enjoying God today? I mean, really. Does God represent a place you go for a time to sit still and a person you endure? Or does he walk with you and talk with you along life's narrow way are you enjoying God have you got some bitterness about your life do you feel like you've been given a bum deal I'm telling you God's not going to hold back anything from you through Jesus Christ I can't give you the timing on when this perfection is going to be real in your life but I'm giving you a certainty that through Jesus Christ it's a coming and that's what I've been praying for you because I want to see Teresa Baptist Church abounding in love with all knowledge and discernment, approving what is excellent so that we might glorify God and enjoy him through Jesus Christ. This morning, as we sing our hymn of invitation, the singing is for us to begin vo to give voice, to respond to God. The altar is for us to bow before him. Perhaps you need to grab somebody and let them pray with you. Perhaps there's a decision you need to make and make it public. This isn't about a performance. It's about an opportunity. You're free in this place to respond to God. Here's your opportunity. Father, as we sing this hymn together, would you actually do it for us? Would you turn our eyes upon Jesus?
In Christ I pray. Amen. Ms. Patty.